This episode of the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by SeatGeek. That is the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets. I know this is the Ringer NFL Show, but people like the NFL and the NBA. $20 off. Use promo code BSNBA. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Speaking of the Ringer Podcast Network. Don't forget about One Shining Podcast with Mark Titus and Tate Frazier. I made an appearance on there this week in a special two-part episode trying to figure out which 12 schools should just be better at college basketball. We tried to offend as many people as we possibly could. So check that out when you can. Don't forget about Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air. Don't forget about Cousin Sal's Against All Odds. Don't forget about the J.J. Reddick podcasts and all the other podcasts we launch on the Ringer Podcast Network. And more importantly... I'm the Ringer NFL Show, heading into the playoffs. GM Street with Mike Lombardi and Tate Frazier. Kevin Clark and Robert Mays on Tuesdays and Fridays with special guest Danny Kelly. Lots of good stuff, man. You're going to need us for the playoffs. People love our Ringer NFL Show feed. It's an honor to be on it this week. This is an interview that we taped with Kevin Clark from the Ringer and former NFL player Chris Borland, who retired early, really early, from uh, the San Francisco 49ers because he was worried about his health. It became a big story. Chris has not done a lot of press. He came in, uh, I think, two weeks ago, and we talked about a whole bunch of stuff about the NFL, where it's going, concussion awareness, uh, the future of healthcare in the NFL. Should we even have the NFL? We go deep. It's coming up right now. All right, Chris Borland is here. Kevin Clark is here from the Ringer. We're taping this a day after um, a brutal Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game. Did you guys watch that game? Yes. Did you see it? I didn't know. How much football are you watching these days? I'm not. Um, You're out. I'm out, yeah. Um, Not protesting it, not, you know... Anything like that. I think think it's apathy. I just am not interested to watch anymore. Um... I'm surprised to hear that. It was such a big part of your life for, I'm sure, since you were a kid, right? True. Yeah, but I think in ways that's actually an easier way to abstain because uh, it was cathartic for me. I got it out of my system. I think a lot of people who haven't played at that level um, still maybe romanticize it a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I know Kevin does. <laughs> once once you've seen how the sausage is made, it's, it's pretty easy not to watch. All right, so Kevin and I will talk about the game. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> but there was this, every once in a while, there's just a brutal night game. <sighs> It's like either once a year or once every two years. There's just a game where like three guys get carried off, and um, it's usually those two teams somehow. Yeah. What did Roth? What was Roethlisberger's quote after that? When it's Ravens Steelers, it's a hard hitting game, and when it's Ravens, I'm sorry, Steelers Bengals, he's he's scared for everybody. Yeah. He, Something th- like that. That was the way he phrased it. And the thing about the Shazier hit, which is probably the scariest hit I've seen in the last five years, something like that is, you know, the NFL continues to say there's some sort of march towards a safer game and, and the way they say, Oh, the doctors are on the sidelines or, Oh, you know, the helmets are better whatever the hit Shazier had. You cannot legislate out of the game. You cannot solve it with any sort of initiative or lobbyist or doctor. And that was what was so devastating was just the helpless feeling of like, that's, that's football. Yeah. Although, you know, at that point, that that kind of thing could happen in almost any sport, right? right. Exactly. Like, like two outfielders can collide. That could happen. I don't know how they fix that with football. There's moments in football where you're just like, no matter what they do, that's I don't know how you tell a guy to hold up who's going 20 miles an hour. And I, I did see that hit. I mean, I'm not watching football, but yeah. nor am I living under a rock. And I, I, I played against uh, Ryan in college, uh, and he's a great guy. Is he? Is there an update? Do they know? They said he had a spinal cord concussion. Yeah, which he's, contusion. contusion. He's still in the hospital, but it, the update was it's not as bad as it could have been. Which, yeah, I mean, the worst case scenario in football is pretty freaking bad. By the way, yeah, yeah. they were there afterwards. They're like, Tommy Maddox had this in 0-2. Yeah. He, he only missed, missed one game. game. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's great like, to hear. What was going back on out in there? What was this for the Steelers' doctors in 2002? Oh, Maddox is fine. Just get him back out there. Yeah, I, I saw there was wording about uh, his availability. Yeah, and you know, when it, somebody's legs aren't moving, it's like, is this an explicit podcast? It's fuck, super. Fuck. Fuck yeah. availability. It's you know, like this might man might not walk. Um, but you're right. I don't know how you legislate that out of the game. I mean, I've been in that position as a middle linebacker on a crossing route 
hundreds yeah. of times. Um, I did what Ryan did hundreds of times. Uh, thankfully, didn't have a spinal contusion, but that's part of playing football. You think that's the most dangerous position of all the positions been a linebacker? Um, In terms of co- from collisions? It depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about um, CTE, it seems as though offensive and defensive line uh, because you have the yeah. most sub-concussive hits. Yeah. Um, in terms of catastrophic injury, I think safety or linebacker because you're coming yep. in at speed. Um, you, you know, you don't know what exactly is going to happen with those sub-concussive hits on the line. It's pretty. It's pretty repetitive. You understand the it's angles. Like boxers. Yep. Yeah. You understand. You know where you're going to hit your head and and what plays being run and what scheme and what fit. You know, when I'm running from 15 yards out and my opponent is too, and the ball's another variable, you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, you can't really prepare for it as much. So it depends what you're talking about. In terms of what happened to Ryan last night, I think safety is or safety and linebacker are positions that are the most dangerous. It doesn't seem there's a lot of 20-year middle linebackers. Like well, I watch Luke Keekley now, and he's been one hit away from the end of his career for for really since last year when he got I hurt. I mean, there's an argument that He's, if his you're crying on the field, yeah. that your career should end. Yeah. Well, you know, Junior Seau came to mind as a 20-year yeah. linebacker. So, um, you know, that was part of my evaluation and the prognosis of playing for a long time. Um, yeah, Luke is a tremendous player and uh, plays the game the right way. And, like, the issue's baked into the game because Luke does everything. I mean, he's a clinic tackler. Yeah. He, he's a clinic linebacker. You would, if you were teaching a young kid how to play the position, you'd say, just watch Keekly. Yeah. And he's had these issues. So, um, the inherent violence, um, regardless of how you're tackling, um, is hugely problematic. When, when did you start thinking about walking away? Was it in college? Or no, no, after? no. It wasn't until my rookie year. Yeah. Um, I entered camp, uh, you know, cheesy or not writing down all my goals and you know one of which was to be a hall of fame linebacker and i know that sounds incredibly lofty for a third round draft pick slow white guy but um that's what i wrote down i wanted to play at least 10 years uh wanted to be the best i could be at linebacker um as the season progressed and i was looking into this issue more thought you know maybe not 10 um what season are we talking 14 yeah 14 my rookie year i said gee maybe not 10 um you know pace it back and then by the end of the year i was thinking maybe three three years so what changed from college to pro that like what did you see in the pros that opened your eyes it wasn't about the level uh the change in the game it it was about the science so Mm -hmm. um, i I was willfully ignorant in college i could have told you what cte stood for i couldn't have told you what cte stood for yeah um obviously knew of mike webster he went to wisconsin uh knew of junior seau's uh taking his life but um didn't know that these droves of players kind of in between those drastic stories that of household names that make the news and guys uh, who have daily struggles and maybe only played three or four years. Um, so began looking into the science. I was coming out of Boston University and other places and just said, you know, I have these lofty goals in the game. Um, I'm not really a guy who cares that much about wealth. I don't care to be famous. So um, am I going to risk all of this for a buck? No. Um Quixotically, I, naively, I, I thought, okay, I'll get out and just choose another direction in life. Um, ironically, I've dealt with this on a daily basis for two and a half years, at least intellectually, having to talk about CT and brain damage and being involved in, in research, um, which was never my intent, but I think we've made progress. Um, I know you know Chris Nowinski a little bit. I do. And uh, what they've done is wonderful. I think this issue often gets conflated solely as an NFL problem. Um with the science that's available right now, uh, the fact that we are knowingly subjecting five-year-olds to a brain disease, right. to me, uh, will baffle anthropologists for centuries to come. Yeah, that's other conversations I've had. The youth sports angle of it is the most alarming, especially with football. It's, yeah. You can make a case nobody should play. What do you think? What age, Kevin? 15? 15. I would say high school. I mean, is there really a reason for guys to play in middle school? The read the the counter argument to this football. is you get taught how to tackle and I mean, basically I you get taught all the mechanics. I don't. Well, it seems like you get but, taught I the mean, mechanics when you're 15. Yeah, and and to Chris's point about Luke Keekley, who who is more clinical than Luke Keekley? Keekley has a history of concussions. I mean, it's just it's a brutal sport. Yeah, I don't know if the, you know the the Seahawks and the Falcons are two teams that are trying to innovate the way that that NFL teams and high school teams and college teams tackle, but. 
it's not like those teams are immune from concussions. It's just those things happen, and the less concussions you can have, the better. So right. I think you limit the youth. I mean, they don't mm. even let soccer players head the ball under 12 years old in some states. So we did, we, My daughter is 12 and a half and plays soccer, and it's our coach won't let, let – they'll head there in games. Yeah. But we don't practice headers. We, we'll see. We Because her team's really good now, so we'll play these other teams. These girls are hitting everything, yeah. and they're 12. And it yeah. just – it always makes me nervous because the ball is not soft. No, no. But, I mean, football's a different animal than that. Well, youth, youth – and particularly girls' soccer because yeah. of the biomechanics of, of weaker necks. Um, but if we could pace back to that point about flag, um, I, I think football and brain injury is really contentious and adversarial, and everybody's – you know, they like to – extrapolate this to the end where are we going to ban football or things like that um a silver lining is flag until high school uh when i was at the combine and had my formal interview with the 49ers it was just me hardball and vic fangio in a small hotel room in indianapolis and uh you know hardball's on the edge of his chair doing all of his hardballisms and intensity and he said every american boy should play soccer through the eighth grade Um, I was taken aback because he's, you know, lives and breathes football more than anybody I know. Um, but when I told him, because he asked what sports I'd played growing up, I told him basketball, soccer, tennis, baseball, um, everything under the sun. My dad, who's a college linebacker, made me wait until high school. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think I did. So they have five years of hits on you then? Um, ten. Oh, ten. Yeah. I can't yeah. add. I think I, I think I have a concussion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, ten. But, you know, I think for all the talk about, you know, ending the game or who's anti-football or anything like that, a silver lining, if Jim Harbaugh is okay with it, um, I don't know anybody who loves football more. So I think we can afford to wait until high school, develop more skills um, athletically. I don't think youth football really, you run forward and whoever hit puberty first runs everybody over, runs around everybody. Um, you can develop, you know, better cardiovascular health, football it's funny, NCAA doctors and NFL-funded doctors like to say we need youth tackle football to combat obesity. And I, yeah, I laugh too. It's, uh, it's you quite, definitely run more in soccer. It's quite literally the only team sport in the world where obesity is an advantage. I mean, you're a run stuffer, you're a hog, you're a big... Na- Being fat is an advantage. It's the only right. youth sport a fat kid can, can excel at. In sports at. writing, I think it's an advantage. It's incredible to see. <laughs> I saw this with Nick Hardwick a couple weeks ago when I saw a photo of him, the, Santa, the former Chargers center. So many of these guys are not supposed to be fat. No. That's the incredible Jeff thing. Jeff Saturday was stunning. Remember so that? many of them pounds are later? supposed to Alan be 180 yeah. pounds. And yeah. they bulk up to 300 because they know they have a chance at college. Then it gets to the NFL. It is incredibly unhealthy. And I'm just shocked by it. How, how much were you weighing at your peak? I played between 245 and 248. What do you weigh now? About 225. It's something I, I've struggled with. And I, I, I um, take issue with the doc saying that because... Yeah. You know, I started playing at 14 and did everything I could. I was a smaller kid yeah. to gain as much weight as possible. And then, you know, no matter how disciplined you are, when you're accustomed to eating thousands and thousands of calories every day, um, there's no reason for me to walk around on earth at 248 pounds. I'm just over five, right. 5'11". Um, you know, so I've worked hard to get down, but still... Um, Got a lot of friends who balloon up after they're playing. It's kind of the inverse. You see big linemen get really skinny. Sometimes you see those skill guys who are running around a lot uh, balloon up because they're used to eating a lot and weightlifting. We can't mention those guys. <laughs> or every, the other, yeah. every high school football star who stayed in his hometown, they also put on the 50 pounds. Yeah, yeah, and drinking heavily. Yeah, yeah, four, yeah. four buds People tonight. keep talking about the state championship <laughs> game 10 years ago. Yeah, I... Uh, my son played flag football this year, and I was surprised how much I enjoyed watching it. And also, like, a lot of the same mechanics that would work for real football really do work in flag. Like, the, the craziest, the most aggressive kids are the best ones, and the fastest ones stand out. And I don't know. I, I don't feel like they were missing much without the pads. I think as you get older... Um, you could see the ones that kind of wanted to bang in everybody. Yeah. Unfortunately, my and, son was one of those. And not only that, but, but the way high schools, colleges, and now pro offenses run, they run flag football offenses. I mean, yeah. seven on seven is a flag football thing. The spread offense can be run very well, and that's why receivers and quarterbacks are so good now, and or at least good at throwing, is because they have so many reps. And maybe the line play is a little worse, but I think overall, tackle football is becoming more like flag football, and that, that will help 
the game of flag football developed. Except for linebacking, I think. Right. Especially if we don't have tackle until high school. And then everybody is playing these pass-friendly, kind of just where the linemen are just constantly pass-protecting and that's it. Football is going to change. I think 20 years from now, football, even if, let's say, let's say it's like a f- age 14, can't play before then. But just in general, it's it's going to look a lot like these stupid college games. I think that's where football is going. I don't say I don't think the run down your throat football is going to exist twenty years from now. Who's in the college playoff this year? Who Georgia, is uh, Clemson, Alabama, Alabama and Oklahoma. And I assume Alabama's hitting you in the mouth. That's their that's their style. Yeah, because they have seventeen the, running backs. The, yeah, the other schools. Yeah, um, they're mostly spread, right, Tate? Yeah. I mean Baker ba- Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma is just throwing the ball over the place. So, I, well, okay, with the exception of those teams, yeah. I mean, I still think it's a it's an advantage to be more physical. Yeah. I think that cliche of who wins the the front line um, wins the game is true. So, yes, I think the game naturally evolves with these safety precautions, but it's still an advantage to be the more physical team and to be bigger and to yep. be bigger. And I played at Wisconsin. Our theory on being Big, successful yeah. is to get the biggest farm boys from Wisconsin and just bludgeon teams and win thirteen to ten. That's how they play basketball too. By That's, the way, <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. Two Final Fours recently. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so so long as it's an advantage, um, I don't see a coach electing to take away an advantage he has. Yeah. Mm. The only thing that could change it is if literally the pipeline of, of big offensive linemen disappear. Like that's it. Because right now there's a cheat code, and that cheat code is you get a bunch of you get five huge offensive linemen, and you can run the ball for six yards a carry if you want. And and I think that's that's what's interesting to me is that there are teams who are trying to go spready and and, and all that stuff, but overall you can still just knock the crap out of people and that's why football is going to take a little longer to change i wanted them to have tug of war rules where it's just like a weight limit for the offensive line yeah. at all times yeah i don't so think it'd be that's like a... 1400 pounds for your five guys and you can't exceed it yeah. you can have weigh-ins on saturday <laughs> weigh-ins on saturday oh the left tackle for that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he plays super dehydrated because he's been in the sauna all morning or uh, a controversy because they <laughs> snuck in the right guard they yeah. stuck in the backup who's 20 pounds heavier they yeah. made it cheated we had at wisconsin at one point i can't do the math off the top of my head but everybody was 330 plus on the line and then we took ryan groy who's, i mean that's think about that how many 330 pound people do you know uh none i mean you oh. know you know more <laughs> than most but i mean how many do you know kevin i don't know any i don't think i know football. a single 330 pound person other than probably people online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, not even that. They took one of our backup linemen who's, who's still with the Bills, Ryan Groy, freakishly yeah. athletic, and put him at fullback. Oh, my God. And Ryan was 325. Oh, my God. So we're in, you know, in practice. It, you know, you're going against literally tons of pounds um, with a 325-pound fullback coming at you. So um, it was effective for us. We won three straight Big Ten championships. Um, how much of that is food and weightlifting and how much of that is other stuff? Dun, dun. Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't think there's any truly any other stuff um, that I saw at Wisconsin. Um, these guys, really? Are, no, none. Um, so this is like a I mafia you, thing. You, where you can, get, Bill, you can get to three thirty pretty easily in Wisconsin. That is yeah, true. We were talking about the cheese, <laughs> yeah, we were the cheese about curds, that and beer. Wisconsin's, That's the one state where you can naturally get up to three thirty. Who wants some fried kielbasa? Wisconsin's. Uh, they got a bar called Wando's, and uh, every Tuesday night, it's all you can eat: free bacon and one dollar twenty-four ounce PBRs. Wow, that's it was an those, offensive. That's the PEDs, Bill. Those <laughs> are the PEDs. language now. <laughs> that's uh, that was an offensive lineman uh, hangout. So um, it's telling. Yeah, those n- no issues like that. No dun dun dun. Uh, big guys. The who, former players will never talk about PEDs. Just doesn't happen. I'm, I'm being completely. No, candid. I know. It's yeah. a, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, didn't see any. Um, but the NFL, you. I mean, there had to have been some stuff you'd heard. Yeah, there's murmurings in the NFL, but um, you know, Wisconsin, I, I truly didn't see any. And uh, just huge honking farm boys that ate their asses off and drank a lot and uh, and lifted a lot. So um, that that's what it was. That's what it was. When you got to the Niners, um, they were just coming off. Was that the coming off the Super Bowl or the year after the Super Bowl? Year this after was the year Super after Bowl. the NFC Championship the previous year. Yeah. yeah. Harbaugh starting to wear out his welcome. You know, I don't know. I think. Uh, was it was a year? Th- it would have been last Harbaugh year. It was 14, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I think maybe for some vets. Um, oh, I thought it was more with management. Was it players too? 
a little I bit. can't speak to it. I mean, I was yeah. a rookie. There um, were a couple, like Alex Boone came out against Harbaugh, just yeah. said he'd yeah. want his welcome. It seemed as though there was a rift between management. Again, I don't mean to shirk the question, but I was yeah. a 23-year-old rookie you know, trying to contribute, so I wasn't privy to all the inner workings of, yeah. of high-level NFL politics. Um, it did seem as though, particularly towards the end of the year, that the writing was on the wall. Um, yeah, and it was almost awkward. I think everybody understood that either Harbaugh or Balky was out. Um, our GM, Trent Balky. And, and He's it, gone. Yeah. Well, there was only one person in America who decided Balky was better than Harbaugh, and that's that to be the, the owner of the San Francisco <laughs> 49ers. Although I do wonder, though, Harbaugh might be one of those college yeah. type coaches that it's like after four years, he, he just he's so intense all the time. That's, Guys get worn out by him. Like Tate. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> it's, that seems to be what's happened since uh, from San Diego to Stanford and 49ers and on. Um, I can say, I mean, I love playing for Harbaugh. Um, I get why people would be a little annoyed by the who's got it better than us stuff. <laughs> to him, it's genuine. Yeah. So it's not it's not fake. Um, it's not contrived to him. He believes every word of it. Um, and you have to respect that. Yeah. Did you want to play for Har- Harbaugh, Kevin? Yeah. For four years? For f- Four years. Yeah. How about for 14? But I think that if you're a big personality, like Alex Boone is a good example of yeah. a big personality, like you, they're kind of as a, a clash of alphas, I think. And yeah. I think that's sort of what happens. I He'll think be, he tries to be the dominant personality every time. I think he's the next Giants coach. Um, um, I know that's you a conspiracy Giants theory. And not like Colts or Bears where he played. No. Okay. I think the Giants is probably the single best football job that's out there. That'd be the number one coaching job. The only thing I have is he had a, such a nightmare with the GM in San Francisco that he'd probably want full control and the Giants wouldn't give it to him. Or he gets like the the guy who he's kind of buddies with that they run it, but he has some say in it, one of those yeah. situations. But what's Belichick a better situation. NFL coaching job than the Niners? I mean, than, uh, than the, the Giants. Giants. I would say that's number one, right? Yeah. Most history. Biggest city. Most stability. Yeah. Low expectations after McAdoo. You're following Ben McAdoo. What's better than that? <laughs> Pittsburgh and Green Bay. Pretty good spots. Yeah. Yeah, you're in Pittsburgh and Green Bay. Yeah, not New York. Yeah. <laughs> good point. I, really, I think Pittsburgh's underrated. And I, and I love Wisconsin. So yeah. I, I like all three of those. But I mean, if you're in New York, you're in New York. You're deep in New Jersey. Also, it's important. You to can under- live in New York. It's important to understand Green Bay. You shouldn't conflate that with Wisconsin. Uh, Green you think Bay's, it's its own place? Yeah. It's like the Virgin well, it's, Islands? It's in the middle of, nah, it's just like the Virgin Islands. Uh, <laughs> Tax haven. Yeah. No, no, no. I you know, I understand your point. Yeah, You don't want to be stuck in maybe Green Bay necessarily. I, I'm just a weather guy. Yeah. When when it's you're dealing with that Midwest weather for five months, New York's not much better, but at least you know, you're in a major giant city and you can yeah. you have you can some find options. Anything. Yeah. It seems like Harbaugh... Whatever he does next, it'll be a it'll be a big ass franchise. I don't. I think the Colts are too small for him. Plus, Luck's been banged up the last three years. It's got to be like Giants, Bears, Steelers, Bears. like just somebody that matters. Isn't you he, want the Bears, Tommy? Isn't he under contract? With, He'd have to coach with, Trubisky though. How long is he at Michigan? Con- contracts are. Yeah, I understand. We, we found out that co- all contracts are very breakable in college football okay, in the yeah, past twelve months. But fifty million, they're, they're going to buy out. You know. Tens of millions of dollars for if Harbaugh leaves? I don't know. I get five. It's all play, I get doing, it's all play money it's all at play. this point. Okay. College, Jimbo Fisher just got $75 million yeah. guaranteed. Just seems like with college, there are no rules at all, and anybody no. can do whatever they want. But there's, not, there's, there's a not, lawlessness. Enough, not enough money to pay the players, though. Right, exactly. Everybody's broke. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Michigan was a rival, right? Uh, they were, but when I was in Wisconsin, uh, the Big Ten realigned. So we only played Michigan my freshman and sophomore year while I was there. And those were the Tate 4CA years. So um, pretty lopsided victories. Hmm. Rich for Ross. us. For us, yeah. So you start playing for the Niners, right as all the CT research and all that stuff, as big, people are starting to take it a lot more seriously. I think Seah's death was definitely a tipping point. There's no question. But it's just there's some momentum. And then when you became the first one who was like, I'm out, I'm retiring, people were just stupefied. Yeah. Now um, I don't think it's as stupefying. But in 2000, what was it, early 2015? Yeah. yeah. People were like, what? Guy's walking away. He could play for 12 years. <laughs> What's he doing? Yeah. I think it was maybe a little early for the public to accept. Um, and, in, and to this day, I'm still involved in some advocacy. And I, yeah. I'll uh, hear people say, um, 
how courageous it was. And I think they mean well. I think they, I think they say, you know, you took your health in your own hands, whatever else. Um, but I just think it's practical. Yeah. I mean, when the guy, when you aspire to be like a player who shoots himself in the chest, uh, and then subsequently his autopsy shows a brain riddled with disease. Yeah. Um, who here raises their hand, elects to play for 15 years? Um, now, it's not black and white. Of course, there's more nuance than that. But mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think it's create, courageous. I think a lot of guys are beginning to make more pragmatic decisions about it. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not, I get cast as someone that's like anti-football or think needs to be banned or something. Um, brevity is a really simple answer. Start later. Uh, finish sooner. Hit your, less, hit, hit your head less in the meantime. Um, and I think we'll hopefully not see any tragedies like Seau if we just do the simple things like that. What was your reaction covering the league when that happened, Kevin? I was stunning because I think we were waiting for someone like that who yeah. are just going to walk away because I've said it for years. Why does, you know, Aaron Rodgers has made $100 million. Aaron Rodgers knows all the dangers. Why does Aaron Rodgers say, I'm just gone? And the reason is because, and I know you disagree with this, but it's, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And I know you say it's practical, but it, what you did was courageous. And and what I'm curious about is, you know, you went to Europe after that. Did you were you feeling heat or anything, or did you just <laughs> want to explore Europe, or did you want to get away, or you just became an avatar for, you know, what you said, the sort of anti-football movement? Were you prepared for that? I was completely unprepared. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it would be like a news story for a week. Yeah. Um, and then it it was like an avalanche. I mean, yeah. I still get requests to do things about my decision and it was almost three years ago um yeah i went i did a lot of things i wanted to do always wanted to do but couldn't because i was a full-time athlete so i did the cliche six weeks back packing through europe <laughs> uh ran a marathon did a bunch of other little fun things i didn't get a chance to do traveling and uh, things like that um yeah i think you know not to oversimplify it i think but the media typically paints this binary picture and it, it, they pit people against one another and it's, are you in this camp or that camp? I think an issue like this has more nuance and I just got exhausted being the anti-football guy or the concussion guy. Um, still, you know, frankly annoys me, but um, I, I think I am in a position to affect some positive change, um, help, helping out with people at BU or elsewhere. Um, and I think some great things have come from it. So how I feel about it aside, um, I think the landscape's trending towards a healthier landscape, um, but I'd be careful ever to use the word solution. People th- throw around the word solution to this problem of head injuries in football. There's likely no solution. Um, it's likely if people play for a long time, uh, a certain percentage of which will have a brain disease. Um, it's America. I mean, you're free to do that, but... Um, the solution's going to be when they have the test in the moment mm-hmm. that can test how much damage there's been already. Yeah. You can just go in and get a CAT scan and they'll be like, you're at 15% CTE or whatever it is. And, <laughs> right. and somebody's like, really? All right, I'm out. Yeah. And no, that'll be it. Yeah, that's a great point. And there's, uh, it's trending in that direction. I think um, recently there was uh, some folks that said they can test it in living. Yeah. Um, we'll see. That's been um, Those claims have been made before. And the FDA has, has made those who made those claims retract their statements. Um, yeah, I think within five or ten years we'll have a verifiable genetic test or um, you know blood test where we can see like what, you it'd be like saliva or something. Who right. the hell knows? Yeah, right. exactly. The other thing that would be a game changer is when instead of just going into the mysterious blue tent during games <laughs> that I call the Vico <laughs> den, um, you go in there and they just run this quickie CAT scan mm-hmm. that's just yeah. like yeah, you just got a concussion. Yeah. It's a mild one, but you're going to be out for three weeks. Yeah, and they can already. They don't have that now. Now they have the flashlight. Like, look over here, look over there. Well, Guys are faking their answers half the time. Yeah, and, and that's assuming that the person administering the test is doing so in good faith. <laughs> is he is being paid by the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was baffled by the uh, independent neurologist. This, the moment you're hired by the NFL, you're not you're not independent. So that makes no sense to me. But. Um, there's also a genetic predisposition, so we're finding that out. Yeah. And uh, there's some been some people in the military actually. Um, PTSD is a huge problem. It's closely related at times to blasts and even subconcussive yeah. blasts if you're firing mortars or or uh, heavy artillery. So if we do this genetic test and see who's predisposed to Alzheimer's, um, APOE4 is the allele. If you are pr- predisposed to those issues, maybe you don't you play baseball. 
Maybe you don't yeah. fire the mortars and, and you're uh, you know working with computers. Um, I think those are pragmatic steps that make a lot of sense. I think the most interesting thing, if they're able to detect CT in the living, is the ramifications just to the pipeline. Does a high school get rid of football? Does the state of California say no more public school football if they're able to test these 16-year-olds and they have, what you say, 10% CT? Then it becomes a liability issue. Why did you let them on the field? What can they sue if this person you know, gets another concussion or whatever? Then colleges. So I think that once you can detect CT in the living, that opens up a Pandora's box. I don't think we quite grasp how monumental that can be. You also... What's going to happen is some colleges are going to run yep. from it. 100%. And I think I would predict that in 10 years, the Ivy League does not have football. Yep. Wow. I think they'll be the first ones that gets out. And I think the NES, all the smart schools will get out. <laughs> NESCAC. Yeah. Like Williams, Amherst, Tufts, all those ones. What about Holy Cross, like, Bill? University of Chicago. Holy Cross will probably yeah. kind of hang in until, I mean, they're kind of half out anyway. But <laughs> it's, you know, how many, even for a school like Holy Cross, it's like 60, 70 kids. I can't even remember. Yeah. That. Okay. If you're giving scholarships for some of them, which Holy Cross doesn't, then you got to match it on the on the girls' side, and it's expensive. I think people are going to look at this like, all right, if we get rid of football, that's forty less scholarships we have to worry about on the women's side. We don't have to worry about any CTE concussion liability, and and screw it, we'll we'll start NCAA flag football. We'll be exactly. awesome. Yeah, and even think about the high school level. There's a school in Texas that built a sixty-two million dollar high school football stadium. <laughs> Um, but that, but that's the thing. Texas, the South, um, there's certain places. High school football is not going away. It will never go away in Texas ever at any point. Texas will secede from America <laughs> before that happens. They're just Florida not getting too. rid of it. Florida, same thing. I think anywhere in the South, right? There's some sort of line in the on the United States map, and you just go down, and they're just going to have it. And I think like. You know, Oklahoma, Nebraska, they're not getting rid of football. Southern There's California. No I think Southern Put California. Go Long Beach and say no more high school football. See how that goes. Yeah. Long Beach is not going away. No, I, I don't think so. I think the point I was trying to illustrate was public dollars. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So what's the ROI on a $70 million high school football stadium? Because um, there was the 62 and now their rival school built an even bigger, better With one. With like giant scoreboards, right? Yeah. yeah. It's occupied eight to 10 times a year. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge waste of money. Um, and it's public dollars. So I think age of uh, age of start is one uh, concern, but then maybe- They also, they'll have the cheerleading, the cheerleading. So okay. maybe it's so 11 yeah, times yeah. a year. And the tickets yeah, the are, are 50,000 bucks a pop, so they can pay for it. <laughs> Um, no, I think uh, maybe privatizing the game more so, um, kind of you know modeled after clubs of European soccer yep. or elsewhere, um, because every dollar you put into that seventy million dollar high school football stadium is one that's not going to schools, that's not going to healthcare, on and on and on. Yeah, the one thing about the European model is the onus is on the professional teams to develop their own guys, yeah. and and at some point the NCAA is going to say, why are we? Why do we exist only as a developmental pipeline for the NFL? And to take bribes. And to take bribes. And get Jimbo Fisher $75 million <laughs> in guaranteed money. <laughs> to make tons of money from TV deals. Yeah, I I, uh, I can't see high school football totally going away. I can see a lot of college football going away. A lot of it. Like a lot. And even the economics kind of makes sense for it to go away. Because, yeah. like, for example, there's no college MMA, is there? Do we have college mixed martial arts? Just bar fights. Just bar fights. <laughs> Just bar fights. Do we have college boxing? We don't. We, uh, well, we used to. We used to. And Wisconsin had a tremendous gone. program. They won a series of national championships. Uh, a player died in the ring. Uh, and that's what precipitated the yep. fall of college boxing. So it, and it, Teen Wolf 2. That was the other. I don't know if you guys saw Teen more Wolf so 2 Teen Wolf 30 too. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but college boxing icon. movie. Yeah. The only college boxing movie ever. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about testing. If there's testing, you can see on a year-by-year basis players developing a disease. Um, tragically ironic that at places of, places of higher education, we're seeing them not only um, okaying, but it's their cash cow is this activity that gives their students a brain disease. And I don't see how that's not like boxing. I think lacrosse is in trouble, too. Lacrosse has like a sneaky amount of... Not only concussions, but just really bad collisions and hockey. Anyone hockey's hockey, another yeah. one. Hockey they've they've figured out it seems like how to make safer. Just don't fight. 
Don't <laughs> fight. That's a big one. Don't and punch also, each like, other in the head. don't make runs at guys from behind. They've done tweaks right. that have made the game faster and less violent. But at the same time, you know, in the NHL's case, I think, I think it's definitely hurt the popularity of the sport a little bit because pe- people like the people violence. Like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they wanted like scores to be settled and all that. There are people what I inside the NFL who think a lot of the ratings decline has been it's just less violent and people like violence well, they, they would have liked last night <laughs> yeah jesus record ratings yeah that's it's kind of a catch-22 because these rules they're trying to make i i would be angry as a linebacker yeah um so if, if you know if we're going to do something inherently dangerous be honest about the about the costs um ensure players better um guaranteed contracts in the nfl on and on and on all these things we can do but don't you know make this claim about the game and then put the onus on me as a player to solve it um you know, I don't think that's fair to players on both ends. Did players reach out to you after you walked away? Um, like almost that you had the balls and they didn't kind of emails or texts? Or was it more like, what the F are you doing? Or was it both? Everything. Yeah. Um, it mirrored what I'd experienced from outside the game, too. There was people supportive. There was people critical. There was people indifferent. Um what I will say from inside the game is whether or not a player knows really what's going on, um, they understand at least on an experiential or visceral level what it's like. Um, so fans will just throw out anything. I, I, I'm not very active on social media just because I think it's this like cesspool of people who don't know what, the f- what they're talking about yeah. just projecting onto you. Um, from within the game, though, even guys who disagreed said, you know, I get it, bro, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep playing. Um, former players has been really revelatory to me. So to hear... Um, you know, after Dwight Clark got his diagnosis with ALS, I shot him a text saying, you know, I'm sorry if anything I've said over these past two years has caused you undue stress. Um, you know, I'd spoken out and said some really critical things publicly, um, you know, while he was dealing with that. Um, and he shot back right away, uh, saying, thanks for your support. Um, you know, one guy having my condition makes your decision make perfect sense. Um, and I was blown away for him to be empathetic in that, in that yeah. situation. Um, yeah, I think more and more we're seeing this unfortunately come to fruition with the cost of playing for a long time. And it's not talked about because we talk about how it's, you know, it's getting safer at the moment, but this is a disease and an issue that plays out over decades. And for the first time we're seeing guys, my dad was a college football player. He played in the early 70s. Um, he didn't start until high school. They played eight games a year in Wisconsin on big, heavy, thick grass with light equipment and everybody was slower and smaller. Um, you know, we played 15 a year when I was in high school. We yeah. went out of state to hit in the off season. We had he played college football. Um, you know, their preseason was two weeks. Ours was four. We had 15 bowl prep practices, 15 spring ball practices. So I think over the next 25 to 50 years, we'll see a generation generations of players that just hit their head thousands more times than my dad's generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it makes me sad, um, but we have to deal with it. It's not going to ignoring. It, it's not going to do anything. What's that drill when they have the two guys lined up Oklahoma in the small drill. space? It's yeah. amazing that drill still exists. Yeah. It's, it's, they should just change that name to Concussion from <laughs> Oklahoma. I mean, seriously. It's just like, it's like here, here's a structured car crash for the next half hour. Yeah. But 20 years ago, that was like the drill. It was yeah. like, all right, let's find who's the, who the who, men on this team. Bull in the ring and all of yeah. those. We used to do a drill at Wisconsin called Badger where two guys would line up uh, a yard and a half from one another and just try to drive one another. And it's how we would start a practice that we wanted to be especially physical. Yeah. Um, so coach blows the whistle after, after warm-ups and says badger drill, and everybody comes just to 100 guys just to hit. Um, it doesn't make you any better at football. Uh, it doesn't improve, your, uh, improve you in coverage. It doesn't improve your run fits. It doesn't make you more physical. It just causes injuries. So that barbaric senseless drills like the nutcracker and bull in the ring and badger um, i think we're seeing them phased out um it's past due honestly it's uh um it's silly to do something that wouldn't make you better at, at your sport just to be tough we're gonna stop doing them in the office <laughs> the drills are out yeah. we, we can't stop oklahoma <laughs> we found some good interns bull in the ring. Ring. we got bull in the ring running over there have you ever been at one of the practices where they've done those like yeah. close up yeah i mean it's 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 brutal. It's always the best hard knocks moment of whatever the uh, first or yeah. second episode is. The worst thing I think in NFL practices are how cavalier they are about when a guy gets hurt. 
and uh, everybody pretends like the guy wasn't hurt. I remember it was at a Giants practice a couple of years ago, and this guy like clearly like either blew out his knee or whatever, and it was just like guy moved out of the way. Next pull man him off out. the field, that, and it's like that guy's. It, I remember it was like an undrafted guy. It's like that guy's like livelihood might be over forever, and yeah. the the modus operandi here is we don't care. Yeah, that was shocking to me yeah. when I got to college. Um, in high school, if a kid got hurt, practice would stop. The trainer would come out. In college, it was move at 15 up. Yep. Um, sometimes the play, you know, if it was a broken play, would almost go back into the guy who's still there <laughs> writhing in pain with a torn ligament. Um, You're still here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, wow. That, that was Did you ever re- see the movie Rollerball? I haven't, no. It came out in 1974. How many movies have you seen? I, that, this is what I do. I'm an only child. <laughs> James Caan. Okay. And it was in the future. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. I said, wasn't there a remake? The, the yeah, remake. I saw the remake the, on cable. We're not discussing the remake. <laughs> James, it's basically this futuristic sport that's like football. And the guy's is modeled after kind of the roller derby, but football. And there's guys on bikes and just trying to get around. And it's violent like football is. And it starts getting more and more violent. And eventually they just decide to get rid of the rules. And it's like a whole parallel of basically there. It's about it's a movie about the NFL, but it's not. Yeah. And then the last thing, it's like basically last man standing wins, and James Conn's like the last guy, but like everybody's dead. So this is 1974, <laughs> and this is like we're gonna make this movie about football, but it's not really about football. So obviously they knew in the 70s because then you watch North Dallas 40. And it's the same thing, like Nick Nolte is the lead character. This was 1979. Yeah, I'm familiar with He's with, yeah. He's basically, he based his character off of uh, Fred Bulitnikoff and the Raiders mm-hmm. and Dave Casper, who's their tight end. And, you know, the first scene, he's like, barely can get out of bed. Yeah. Pops like 10 pills. He's drinking. Everyone on the team's crazy. And so they knew this 40 years ago, is my point. Yeah. They knew that football was bad, and they knew that guys were behaving erratically, and... That was it. And the game became more popular. Yeah. And I, I don't think in spite of the violence, but because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, in other ways, we've known for 100 years, dementia pugilistica, which is the first cousin of CTE, was discovered in boxers yeah. uh, in 1928. Um, it doesn't take a lot to extrapolate repetitive head injury from the ring to the, the gridiron. So I think we've known. Um, I'm not one to, to I don't, I'm not in favor of a nanny state. If you want to play... I think you should you should absolutely have the opportunity, and I don't um, I get being a fan. I feel the same way, by the way. Yeah, I don't think we have to um, hold players' hands. I don't think we have to make decisions for people. Um, I do think information's still being manipulated um, fairly insidiously. I think players are intentionally kept in the dark. Um, I have never once been invited by any football entity, NCAA, NFL, Big Ten, anybody to speak about what I learned. Um, you well, think, they don't. They don't want to hear from you. No, exactly. And, and if you were a confident, assured organization, and someone made a decision that was counter to what you're saying publicly, you would say, oh, "Okay, come speak to us. Tell us what you didn't learn. Tell the players. Inform them." It's basically like if it was cigarettes 50 years ago, right. they wouldn't be like, "Hey, this guy had lung cancer and quit. And now he wants to talk to you about cigarettes." Exactly. Like, no, he's not talking. Yeah, yeah. Get him out of here. And I completely understand, but I'm just making the point that um, you know I still think w- w- inside the game, players are told one thing that's not entirely true. Um, so you're really skeptical of team doctors, because I am too. Oh yeah. You know, how is the team paying its own doctor to? If I'm a player, I'm getting examined by somebody being paid by the team, and it's in their interest for me to get me out there, back yeah. out there as fast as possible. How is that good for me? It, you know, Dracula's running the blood bank. That's what we used to say sometimes. Um, and if you look at a doc and the team docs before the game. They're slipping on their pullover. They're putting on their cap. They're pumped up. They love yeah. it. They want to beat. You know, they want to beat the other team. Yeah, they love it. They kind. Of, most guys probably wish they were on the team or had played. Um, and then they're in charge of your health. Um, aside from the financial, who they're paid by and everything. Um, it's about winning. Um, I don't know if there's any way to have independent docs truly, because at some juncture you're going to be hired by somebody whose interest is football. So my, my thing is broader. Um, you know, I think just open science, just telling everybody what the issue is. If we can have these tests and guys can play for three or four years um, at the dangerous positions like linebacker, I think if you avoid a catastrophic injury, most guys who played a short period of time will likely be okay, or at least won't have symptom, symptoms that are dramatic. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, we don't know. Um, 
But yeah, I don't think we need to throw away the the baby with the bathwater. Football's been great to me. Any given Sunday, that was another. That was twenty years ago. James Woods, the team doctor, it was like <laughs> like what you were talking about. Yeah, get him back on, give him a shot. That's yeah. all they care about. Yeah, is getting the guys back on the field. It's- I I once uh, was having my hand worked on and my wrist retaped. And so this was during halftime and didn't have a third hand to take my other Tordal pill. So the doc opened it and put it in my mouth for me. And I just thought, yeah, shit, like that's, uh, I'm a piece of meat. I started writing about the Toradals in my column like seven, eight years ago because I I didn't even know about it until, and I did some research on it. How just, first of all, super addictive. Second of all, really potent. Yeah. It's like having 40 Tylenols at the same time. It's unbelievable. And, and they're popping them. And I just could not believe that they were legal, but pot wasn't. It's, it's, it's like insanity. Nobody can justify that. No, never. No. It, um, I think part of that policy, maybe the fact that you know NCAA and NFL fan base is from a lot of conservative places um, where marijuana is still taboo. Yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, a lot of guys leave football, even at the high school level and definitely at college and pro with a acute addiction to painkillers. Yeah. Um, you would have thought after Brett Favre's basically whole life was ruined by it as he was playing, as he was a giant star, that it would have at least been like a wake-up call, but it wasn't. Brett Favre seemed fine. He was the fun guy who was going out there throwing 50-yard touchdowns even when he was 40 years old. And so I think that if Brett Favre had had a more public flame-out and it wasn't just early in his career, you know, he he looked like a success. You mean like a dick pic scandal? (laughs) He looked like a success story. More than anything else, because of the way the media right. portrayed Favre, it wasn't a sad story to, to most people. I don't think. Now he's kind of MIA. I'm actually. I, mean, I, a, I don't know if there's. No, there's a, Yeah. I don't know if there's. I've good seen. I've seen Brett his appearances. Stuff. He's a step slow. Yeah. Well, he told Matt Lauer a couple of years ago yeah. that he didn't remember his girl, his uh, daughter, playing a season of soccer. Um, we never know what to do with the the legends who aren't as in good shape. Like Ali, when Ali was like the guy for my generation, and when. All of a sudden, he became obviously there was something wrong, and his hand shaking. And then they're like, he has Parkinson's syndrome. And everybody like wrote it. It's like that dude doesn't have Parkinson's syndrome. That dude got hit a kajillion times, <laughs> yeah. and his brain doesn't work anymore. Like, why are we trying to pretend? Yeah, yes, he came down miraculously with some disease that mirrors punch drunk syndrome. It's amazing what we're willing to ignore. Um, Mike Webster is the only Hall of Fame football player ever to go to Wisconsin, and his plaque sits outside of our locker room. And it lists all of his accomplishments, and he was Iron Mike. It was incredible what he did. It doesn't have one mention of anything else. Yeah, and you wow. kind of hear these like rumors. Uh, at least we did as players, like what became of Mike Webster. Um, and to have that omitted, I mean, I understand they're trying to get recruits and they're trying to inspire players, but um, you know, you shouldn't play football at, at Wisconsin and not know uh, about Mike Webster's demise. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. The concussion movie was disappointing. That set us back a couple years. A little flat. I thought artistically. That was a great chance. Will Smith's in there. They gave him a weird accent. Still haven't had our moment. We haven't had like the smoking gun. I think people know, but they're at the same time, it seems like a lot of people are kind of annoyed by football coverage now. I feel like even when we're writing this stuff for The Ringer and writing my column, like so much of it's negative. That's why last week with the Eli Manning story, when he got benched, it was like this old school football story that was like the story that oh, this is a good story. Should they have benched him? I feel bad for Eli. And it had none of the kind of baggage that seems to come with every football. And then last night, Steelers-Bengals, and then it's all back. And we're back in this abyss of just arguing the morality of the game. Yeah, it's like how long can you uh, have a conversation about an existential crisis? It gets pretty exhausting quickly. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it kind of mirrors Trump and politics right now. People are like kind of, you become numb after a while. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, Chris, you know, you use the term willful, willful ignorance earlier, and I've seen a lot of interviews. You say there's sort of a, a willful ignorance that exists in all of football. If you could change one thing about just the education process, you know, what, even if it's you know, adding a second plaque on Mike Webster's you know Hall of Fame thing in, in Madison, what would you change about just sort of the football education process for the for the kids coming up? Well, I, with the kids coming out, are you talking about guys going from college to pro? Yeah, or high school to college. I mean, just any, is there a program, you know? Yeah, I think they talk about bringing in independent um, health professionals during the active game. I think bringing in independent researchers to address teams and and, and, uh, conferences and leagues. Um, 
Independent how? How do, how do those people become independent? It's tough, yeah. Um, we like, almost need a sports czar that works for <laughs> the president that has yeah. a slush Or just now. have, you know, Ann McKee in Boston just talk to the, all the rookies. Uh, that's not hard. That's exactly what I was going to propose. Um, Dr. McKee um, has done autopsies on hundreds of brains. Yeah. Um, she has maintained uh, complete objectivity. Um, she grew up in Wisconsin as a diehard Packers fan. Um, I think she's really altruistic. She's faced incredible scrutiny um, and, frankly, abuse by people um, for simply doing her job as a pathologist. Um, I think Anne talking to high school, college, and pro players would enlighten a lot of players. Um, you know, education is really low. I mean, guys don't even understand that the brain sits unfastened within the skull. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't never really considered it um, while I was a player. Yeah. And there's a million things like that from biomechanics of injuries, just to the idea of subconcussive hits on and on and on. Players are getting this information from team docs. Um, they're getting it from not the you know highest quality media sources. Um, so getting it straight from, um, from people like Dr. McKee, which would be a hard process to figure out. Um, would enlighten a lot of players and whether or not you choose to quit before you, while you still have time to play, um, is a moot point. I, I think as long as you understand the potential ramifications, um, that's important. Guys have said they do. And I, I'm baff- not there yet. I'm baffled because there's never a follow-up question. No. You know, a, a, a interviewer will say to, uh, you know, a JJ Watt, or I saw Emmanuel Acho write a piece for players tribune a couple last year, I think. And basically the sentiment is we know what we're getting ourselves into. Quantify it. Yeah. Cite one study. Say something more than we get it. Because um, I would have said the same thing uh, in August of 2014. We've at least reached the concussions are bad (laughs) level of knowledge. I think we're going to hit a point where with awareness and research that if players keep playing it, it's not going to be any different than if you decide to race a car at 190 miles an hour, right. if you decide to do yeah. any other sort of day, if you decide to skydive or whatever, yeah. which is a good place to be. I think what, what bothers me is where we were 10 years ago, where we started to know a lot of this stuff and the league was trying to cover it up. Because and Tommy they Maddox missed one game with a spinal contusion. Yeah, and, they, and it was just getting back out. And then, you know, when... uh it was Alan Schwartz, I think, was the first yeah. one really writing about it. Then Gladwell pigpiled on, and then started. <laughs> we started really get momentum last decade, and there was a three year stretch there where the NFL was just like, "No, these guys are wrong. I don't know what they're what they're." It's really kind of crazy when you look back. Now at least the NFL's agreeing that. CT is bad, concussions are bad, but they're still trying to shovel it under the rug. They can spin everything. And they're that's, spinning you know, it couple, and shoveling it. Last year or the year before, concussions went up 15 or 20%. And you look at those numbers and you say, holy crap. But they said, oh, no, that's a good thing because it just means we're diagnosing, we're, we're them, diagnosing yeah. them more. And so everything, it's like we were talking about earlier, everything, the narrative is we're on this steady march to a safer game. And the problem is the game is still the game. Well, and the guys are still running 20 to 25 miles an hour and colliding into them. And getting faster and bigger. So weight limits are something that I think would help with this. I do think, like, Mm -hmm. not positive we need. We talked 300-pound linemen. I'm not sure we need 275-pound middle linebackers. And um, I'm not sure we need tight ends that are 270. And there, there are subtle things we can do with to at least remove some of the force, right? I think so. Um, You get into splitting hairs with that, though, because I'm thinking from a defensive player's perspective, you know, we ran a 3-4 at Wisconsin my senior year and with the 49ers. We liked to drop a 290-pound D lineman into coverage at times. Yeah. Um, You know, linebacker D line is kind of a moniker. It's not necessarily. So how you would regulate that um, would get complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, you could call a guy a D lineman and then come out in a three three five stack, and he's playing linebacker. Sure. Body fat percentage. <laughs> you could have front meters. seven. You group it as a front seven. Front yeah. seven. But this is this is treating the symptom and not and not the root problem. Right, right. So um, <laughs> the root problem being the sport of football. Yeah. 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 <laughs> True. I mean, truly, and that, like I'm with Bill. Like it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, let's find out exactly how dangerous it is. Curb it as much as we can. Drop this BS about um, a solution. Um, you, you know, people smoke cigarettes. I've got plenty of friends that smoke cigarettes. Um, you can do that if you'd like. 
Um, football is much the same. Kevin does whippets. Like, we know those are bad for him. <laughs> I'm not sure what a whippet is. You don't know what a whippet is? I, I know what when it is. When you take the whipped cream the can and you, you spin it so the gas comes out. I'm from Florida. We just drink. <laughs> we just drink land shark beer. That's true. Florida. That, that's like too ambitious for Florida. It's it's too. There's nothing in, in Florida that's high concept at all. Just a whiskey and land shark beer and Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> so what you haven't done? When was the last time you did an interview? It's been a while, right? It's been a while. I've done very little media. How come? Um, you know, I I just want to live comfortably. The, yeah. I'm not interested in in, uh, in fame and uh, have plenty of money. So. Um, I've enjoyed this very much. Thank you for having me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not eager to to do self promotion. What are you working on now? You told me in private, but you yeah, can say yeah, publicly. we wrapped up. Uh, I'm excited about this. We wrapped up a first of its kind study at the University of Wisconsin with a researcher named Richie Davidson, um, who's famous for proving that meditation changes your brain physiologically. Hmm. Um, so ten years ago, Richie put. Um, Tibetan monks and fMRI machines and had them meditate and actually for the first time we had an image of how meditation changes your brain um, how so, does it change your brain um, it improves I, I can't get into the neuro, the neuroscience of it but it improves resiliency outlook positivity I need um, all of those things no it's incredible I'll, I'll send you I some know things, Kevin but, does <laughs> I need um, it badly yeah Richie uh, one thing he likes to talk about is this is a skill we can train as like you'd train a golf swing um, and so we put together a pilot study with former NFL players. We had 17 guys go through it, um, was really successful. Uh, and now I've just replicated that curriculum with active college athletic departments. So we're getting started. Um, you know, I think it's a life skill that everybody should have, um, just a little bit of meditation uh, each day. And uh, I think it works directly with athletics, but really just holistically for the whole person. Um, it's stressful to be a college athlete. It's certainly stressful to be a pro athlete. And I think this is a tool that can help players on and off the field. My son watches YouTube videos of pranks, and that that's not the same thing as meditation, right? Uh, you can pe- make- <laughs> people getting paint dumped on them, and it's the opposite. Uh, yeah, 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 I don't, I don't even know how to go wait, wait, I, I'm trying to figure out where I'd meditate in my house with the stuff my kids watch and the three dogs barking. Yeah, exactly. I think I just need to move out. <laughs> Maybe that helps. Meditate and just be peaceful. Oh, where's Chris, Dad? Oh, he, he, he left home. He doesn't gone. live here anymore. Yeah, exactly. He's not here. I'm curious. You know, I, I read some of your interviews, and you seem to have a pretty advanced understanding of, of the mechanics of the brain. And I'm curious, is that something you studied when you left? Is it something you were already studying when, with the NFL, and that's why – you got out early. I mean, when did you sort of dive into the medical aspect of, of the human brain? Uh, not until my rookie year. Yeah. Um, I was a history and international affairs major. I wanted to go to law school, so I had no, very little science background, um, but began looking into it. Um, I mean, when it pertained to my career, that potentially would cost me millions of dollars. I wanted to be sure I got it right. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, uh, the human brain's pr- the most fascinating thing in the universe. It's absolutely incredible. Um, meeting Richie has been an enlightening experience. Yeah. He's a personal confidant of the Dalai Lama who's figured out we can train ourselves to be more resilient, happier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, positive psychology and effective neuroscience um, are a hobby of mine. Um, I don't know if I'll go back to school for it. That'd be like starting from square one, but um, it's amazingly fascinating. Dalai Lama on the pod? Let's mm-hmm. get him. Can we get the Dalai Lama on a pod? I, I mean, the invitation's better. <laughs> we offered him a pod. Put him in the Ringer Podcast Network if he ever wants to do it. We are from the golf show. Wait, we got a, one more thing before we go. You played with Kaepernick. Did you ever think he would become the face of of this whole generation for social protest and the guy who potentially flipped the NFL on, on its ass? I never would have expected it. Uh, Cap is really demure, um, self-effacing, quiet um, for him to take this stance I know at times he's been kind of cast as searching for or seeking the limelight or wanting attention. That's not him. Um, it's genuine. I think what he's done is powerful and meaningful. Um, you know, I love and support him. You talk to him ever? Or no? Uh, no, not in years. Yeah, it seems like it started from just him sitting and not making a big deal out of it. But I do think he's probably changed as a person as his has gone along in a good way. He didn't publicize it when he sat down. That's what I mean. At all. The NFL all. Network is asked him about it after he did it for a second or third time. But I think now yeah. he's embracing it a little bit more. I think it started as this thing that he just felt strongly about. He wasn't going to make a big deal out of it. Now I think he sees the 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 kind of power of the platform. I, I agree. And I don't think you can be lukewarm about activism. 
So right. um, Harry Edwards is a consultant with the 49ers, a former Black Panther, and uh, um, I know he's talked with Cap. Um, I thought he's Cap's done an incredible job. For people that criticize him, he's literally traveling the country teaching young people their constitutional rights. Yeah. Um, the, you couldn't do anything more American than that. He's donated over a million dollars. It's not like he's been going on like Jimmy Fallon and Bill Maher and like just like being trying to get this second life. Yeah, no, not at all. And, uh, you know, it's cast as uh, being anti-military as if people involved in the military um, aren't subject to racial discrimination. Um, You know, the military draws from a huge cross section of our society. I've got two brothers in the military, one of whom's in Baghdad right now. Um, and they are fighting and have fought for his right to do that. Yeah. Um, it's a shame that uh, what he's done has been painted as anti-military. Um, to me, that's that's just painted a fa- by that's some a people. False narrative. Yeah, yeah some people. Yeah. Um, because it it touches every life. What he's done. It has the one thing it has shown is how how the flag and patriotism and sports, I think, goes so much deeper. Than maybe we had realized. Oh, yeah. The Department of Defense paid to have demonstrations at NFL games. Yeah. I mean, Um, it really is like a little bit of a cottage industry with sports, you know? Yeah. Nobody wants to admit that part, but um, some of it is super genuine, obviously. Other parts seems a little, like the NFL definitely exploits it a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, But just in general, like people, there's some people who are like, you have to stand for the flag. I feel that way when I go to games. I hate when people don't take their hats off. You know, it bothers me. It's like, yeah. take your fucking hat off. They're singing the national anthem. Like, it hits everybody differently. And I think this whole thing that happened. Yeah, I think kneeling was a good move uh, versus sitting. And I know he consulted with, uh, the name is, is escaping me right Ray now, Boyer. but the Green Beret. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that was a, a reverent tone to take while still um, yeah. retaining right his move. protest. Yeah. I agree. Chris Borland, thanks for coming on. My Appreciate pleasure, it. Bill. Kevin Thank Carco, you. it was a pleasure.